0: On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview Sharkpreneurs, who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business.
1: Welcome to the Sharkpreneur podcast. This is your host, Seth Green, along with Kevin Harrington, one of the original sharks from Shark Tank and the inventor of the infomercial. Kevin, thanks for joining me today, as always.
2: Hey, Seth. Great to be there. Be here. Got it. Let's have, let's
1: have some fun today. Awesome. Today, we have a very special guest on with us, Michael Drew of PromotaBook.com. Michael Drew is about making the books the essential reads that everyone needs to buy and talk about. He has a string of national bestsellers that reads like an all-star team of today's most popular business writers. He's launched 82 consecutive books on the national bestseller list and has over 1,000 number one Amazon titles. Michael has observed up close the shifting dynamics of the publishing industry and how content reaches today's varied audience, and we're here to talk about um, everything from internet distribution to video creation to book trailers, podcasting, the New York Times bestseller list, a whole lot more. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be
0: here. I think I need to update my bio because I'm on with 88 uh, New York Times bestsellers.
1: So. 88 New York Times bestsellers. We will correct that <laughs> <it> for you. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. Oh, my God.
2: Michael, how did, uh, how did, what was the very first uh, one that, that, that you took off with that you knew this was going to be your future? I, I mean, this is amazing, all the books you've had.
0: You know, the, the first book I worked on was uh, published by Bart Press. It was by a gentleman by the name of Roy H. Williams. He's known as the Wizard of Ads. And the title of the book was Secret Formulas of the Wizard of Ads. And we launched the book to number one on the Wall Street Journal and number three on the New York Times. And that was eighteen years ago Wow
1: that is absolutely incredible I, you're obviously going to be a little bit biased but what's the most valuable form of content that marketers can use today to help grow their business
0: you know what it's a really great question and I, I think it boils down to uh, how we engage content today you go from short form to medium form to long form content and what we what we forget and especially people in publishing is that Books used to be the only form of communication from one community to the next. And as we've seen the advent of the technology from radio to, movies to TV and then to computers uh, and the, ultimately the internet, we've seen a, a shrinking of our attention span. And so really the most important content is going to be either your, your blog posts, your short form content, short videos, and other uh, other. Short forms of, of information slightly longer than what you get in social media, which I would look at as micro content, but uh, short length content that are roughly one to three minutes
2: to consume, like blog posts and videos. So, so michael, when, when when you read a book is how, how important is uh, the publicity side of it? Um, you know mainstream today, you know press, um, newspapers, TV, TV shows, talk shows, radio shows. What, what? How do you position that in in terms of you know the must have of of writing a book uh, in today's launch of a new book? It's
0: a really it's a it's a really great question, Kevin. Um, you know when we look at launching a book, there are three keys to the success. The first is retail distribution, which is the purview of the publisher. The second is uh, the what we call the bestseller campaign, which is leveraging an author's existing platform. In uh, pre selling books to meet the criteria at the New York Times. And the third is what we call audience engagement. And audience engagement is broken into three different uh, phases one is traffic, one is engagement, and one is conversion. So, when you ask, uh, what you ask regarding traditional media, we look at that in terms of PR. And whether that's uh, PR that is generated from traditional uh, publicity or pay for play or, or some other form of, of uh, traffic driving. Um, we, we look at it in terms of its ability to drive traffic into a, a bigger system. I, I, I mentioned a moment ago that consumers today go from micro content to short form to medium form to long form content. And book content is still long form. And so when you look at any traditional form of media, that is going to be short to medium form content. And so it's really useful and necessary in order to create interest for a new audience in the material you're putting out. Now, what's interesting with that is that as of last week? There's a there's a big controversy at the New York Times because the New York Times has now changed their overall criteria and algorithm for how they include sale uh, books on their list. So one thing to note for you and your listeners is that the New York Times is not a real bestsellers list. They don't count real sales in real time. They're more like a poll. And over my career, the, over the last 18 years, we've seen some ma- massive transformations uh, in terms of how they count sales. When I first started in publishing 18 years ago, I could drive all of my sales through Amazon and make the New York Times list. But that's no longer the case. It hasn't been the case for about seven years. And over the over the years, um, the New York Times has put together their own algorithm in terms of how they count sales that are reported. And what's important with that is that not every book that is sold is reported by the retailer. Not every uh, book that is reported by the retailer is counted by the New York Times. And not every book that is counted by the New York Times is counted equally. There's a weighting system. And so um, when you recognize that there are these systems in place and you know that, know that, that it's not a real list, more of a, of a poll, um, it, it, it allows for marketers like myself to come in and, and like with SEO, Uh, develop how to pre sell books in a controlled fashion to be able to meet the the set of standards and criteria that exist. Now, as of last week, the New York Times implemented new systems to to make their list more exclusive and to be able to make it better reflective of what what is actually going on in the market. So not only do you need to have sufficient sales, but you also need to have the right number of books on retail shelves. The rule is you can't have more than the, the, the retailers reporting more than 75% of the books on retail shelves as sales in the New York Times. So if I need 7,500 sales to qualify from a sales standpoint uh, in a given week, then I need to have more than 10,000 books on the shelf that fly a class that I automatically don't qualify. But it's not just retail distribution that they're looking at now. They're also looking at your social footprint. They literally have created a technology that looks at traditional media and online non-traditional media to see what's going on. So they want to make sure that you're in the news, you're in the media, you're in TV and radio and in print traditionally, but you're also there's also a conversation going on online on Facebook and Twitter and and LinkedIn and, and and in the blogosphere. They're they're wanting to make sure that those things are occurring and. While they eliminated their ebook bestsellers list, it is now also a criteria as part uh, to qualify to make the New York Times so if you have everything that I just mentioned but don't have sufficient ebook sales, then you will also be uh, not included in consideration for their list so as you can see, traditional media plays a, a really important role as it pretends to just qualify for the New York Times. I think beyond that though that, that traditional media is a really Helpful and useful tool to spread the message of an author's
1: book to an audience that is that
0: isn't already familiar with that author.
2: Gotcha.
1: With all the changes that are going on, is it still important to be an author in order to sell our actual products or goods and services?
0: Uh, the, the answer to that is yes. Um, I think that the definition of what an author is has has changed. Now, publishing used to be defined as. Uh, newspaper magazine or books. And I would submit that if you publish a a post on Facebook or Twitter or write a blog post or do a podcast like this podcast, all of this is, is a form of publishing. Publishing is simply taking information from behind the firewall, the firewall of your mind in many cases, and making it available to the public. And so I would say that that we all are, that, that anyone that is creating content and making it available ha- has become an author. And I think that what's important to note is the sequence for which a customer is going to engage with
2: content. So, Michael, the we, when you write a book, you know, that there's you know, a lot of people, I, you know, I say, what's what's the end goal in mind in, in, in starting out? And I think, um, is, is it important for, an author to have a strategy that goes beyond the book, like uh, to, you know, to get, become, um, I see a lot of, a lot of authors that end up becoming speakers and, and then, you know, that, you know, so the book kind of gives them a chance to supercharge their brand, take them to the next level, become a speaker, get in front of crowds. Is it, you know, what, what are some of the strategies that you that you recommend for authors that are out there? Um, And opportunities and strategies for authors that are sitting there thinking, should I write a book?
0: So, again, another really great question, Kevin. I I think the first thing to note is that a book is never about the book. It's never, ever, ever about the book. And if you think it's about the book, then you're Emily Dickinson and you don't care if anybody ever reads your book, right? A book, especially in nonfiction, is about engaging an audience and meeting a self-need of the customer. Now, what's important with that to note is that a book is a linear form of communication that does not allow for for um, multi-channel conversation. It is simply preaching at your audience and giving them information. And so for me, what's important is to define what the customer sequence or, or buyer scenario is going to be. And for me and my clients, we always start with the end in mind. Forget the book for a moment. If we're building the business, what is the outcome of that business? How do we define and measure success? And then we look at the book as a precipitory event that dictates the um, engagement into the overall business. You know, I've got 88 New York Times bestsellers, and I believe only six or seven of them ever made money from the sale of the book, but I don't have a single client that didn't increase their gross revenue for their company by at least a million dollars per year and some in the 10 20 50 million dollar range based on the proper promotion of their book you have to remember again that a book is a really great tool to deepen relationships with an existing audience if you've done a great job building an audience that uh, to the point where they're willing to spend the 4 6 or 8 hours to read the book then this is a great way to deepen that relationship and get them to engage with you deeper it's also a great tool to be an excuse, again, a participatory event, to be able to generate media that drives traffic to your overall business. But but what's critical with that in either case is to know what's going to happen before a, a customer or an audience member buys the book, what they're going to get out of the book and what that's going to lead to. It's all about conversation and about deepening relationships. Um, I often refer to the work of Desmond Morris, who did the clinical research that's now used today in uh, merits counseling. And, and what he, f- he was a zoologist and a clinical researcher uh, researching uh, homeo sapiens and whether we're a pair bonded or, or promiscuous species of primates. And, and what he found out, what he found was that we're, that we prefer the safety and security of a pair of a pair bonded relationship, even if we desire promiscuity and that the relationships that la- that are long lasting for the homeostatic primate fo- uh, follow 12 fundamental steps of intimacy uh, between the two parties, and that if that if more than one step, so any two or more steps are skipped, that the probability of that relationship being a long-term relationship is less than 3%. And I would submit to you that while the steps may be functionally or physically different, that the psychology of the human being, whether in an interpersonal relationship or when you're a thought leader, and as a thought leader, you're building in a, a an intimate relationship with your customer. That the psychology of the two is the same, and what is needed is to think through the process of building an intimate relationship with your customer. And in doing so, you're not just thinking about what you're selling as the as the as the business as the business owner and the thought leader but you're looking at where, where your goals and objectives meet the goals and objectives of your customer. And what you need to do is map out what those steps of intimacy are in your business, noting that the currency of money, uh, which is which you have to spend to buy a book, really can't be asked for within building that intimacy with your customer until step eight or nine of a, a, normal, uh, a normal intimacy building process. And so the back end of speaking, uh, of building products and services and consulting and coaching are all simply the the net result of of deepening relationship with your customer. In in Desmond Morris's world, uh, step eight is kissing, right? It takes six steps to get to the point where you're kissing the other party. And if if you imagine that you stop at that point in an interpersonal relationship where you're dating someone and all you ever do is kiss, at some point, either of both parties is going to want more. And if if the two parties don't go farther than that, then the probability of that relationship continuing is is slim to, to none. Similarly in business, if you get someone to the point where they're willing to buy and read your book and you stop there, you're going to limit your ability to, to deliver value and build a relationship with your customer. So you need to you need to map out in advance of writing your book, what the outcome is uh, for the business and how you're going to measure that success.
1: That makes a lot of sense. I mean, you talked earlier, uh, you mentioned when you're talking about the New York Times list, you talked about eBooks. Why should folks consider eBooks over traditional books?
0: Well, there's a a few reasons uh, why I really like eBooks. Number one, one of the, so, one of the criteria of, of becoming a New York Times bestseller, if that's your objective, is retail distribution. And the retailers, look, there were, um, between 1880 to 1980, the average number of books published each year was 40,000 books, roughly. Last year, there were 1,076,000 books published. The average retail bookstore carries roughly 100,000 titles. Only 20 to 30,000 of the new titles published each year ever make it onto a retail bookstore shelf. And again, to qualify for the New York Times, you actually need to have retail distribution. There are three criteria that the buyers of Barnes and Noble or Books a Million or Amazon or the retailers use in determining how many copies of a book they're going to carry. Number one, they look at how well did the author's last book sell at my stores? Number two, how well does the average book by this publisher sell at my stores? Number three, how well does the average book in this category sell at my stores? And based on the answer to those three questions, the book gets a grade of A, B, C, D, or F. So the, one of the biggest mistakes that authors will make is trying to self-publish or go with a small publisher and try to force retail distribution for their book. And if you have no desire to play the bigger game of being a bestseller, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But if you have any desire in the future to be a New York Times bestseller, then forcing retail distribution is one of the very worst things that you can do as it will impact the first criteria on future sales. I've had to turn authors down from working with them because they made the mistake of self-publishing and forcing a few other books on retail shelves. So this is where eBooks come in. Because eBook distribution, Kindle, Kobo, Nook, uh, iBooks, and Sony doesn't impact the the brick and mortar uh, retail distribution of, of your book. And it's a really gr- those are really great formats to be able to go out and test your content against uh, against your audience. I like to look at uh, the I- internet as having four major search engines, of course, Google, YouTube, Amazon, and iTunes. And Amazon can be a really great search engine to be able to test your content against an audience and see if there's actually a demand before you do something bigger. The, the, the other thing about ebooks is that it allows you to create more targeted and short-form content. And especially in nonfiction today, consumers don't want really long books. They want 40, 60, 80, 120-page books, which don't necessarily uh, align themselves for the, the printed format.
2: That puts it into perspective. I, um, I love that. Um, Michael, they, you know, I get so many entrepreneurs that come to me that, that they talk about putting a book together and you know just what what do they need to be thinking about in terms of budget and time and and you know it's it, it's not just something you can you know kind of you know uh, 30 days later boom here it is you know what's what what, what kind of commitment does it take financially and and mentally uh, to approach uh, putting a book out of the marketplace so,
0: I mean, it depends on outcome, right? I mean, you have to start with the outcome. What are we attempting to accomplish? The minimum objective that we aim for for pre-sales of a book to have enough sufficient sales on that criteria is twenty thousand sales, twenty thousand units. So, you know, if if it's a twenty-dollar book, that it's essentially selling four hundred thousand dollars in book sales. And so the first question we would ask is, is your platform, is your audience size big big enough to be able to support that? And if it's not, then what your focus should then be is on building your audience and building your your platform. But assuming that it is, then you look at the other criteria. You're you're looking at traditional PR. And to do traditional PR effectively, whether it's what we call the shotgun approach, the sniper approach, or the pay for play approach, you're gonna spend somewhere between $75,000 to $150,000. Then you're looking at the online social uh, the, the, the online social proof of what you're doing for, for the new criteria with the New York Times. And, you know, you, assuming you've got an audience, you're going to want to engage that, get them to share and like things about your book. But you're probably going to also spend for between six to nine months. Uh, a, an online ad budget of somewhere between five to fifteen thousand dollars certainly you can go bigger than that but that's really the, the minimum spends that you're going to want to look at in terms of building out the, uh, building out and, and engaging an audience to talk about it in the blogosphere, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and, and and so forth. So those are just some very basic things that you need to be considering if you want to run a campaign to be a New York Times bestseller. now on the other side, if your objective is to test short-form content through Kindle, well, you absolutely can write a book in 30 days and get it published through Kindle. There's no uh, distribution criteria that, that, that um, impacts the publishing date for that content. Whereas in traditional publishing, um, if you go with what's called co-publishing, the very fastest you could get your book on the shelf would be about nine months. And more traditionally, 12 to 18 months is the typical time frame to be able to, to secure a publisher that will secure enough retail distribution to support a book being on the bestseller. But ebooks books um, are easier to produce; they're shorter, for, they're shorter form, typically speaking. And you can, as soon as you're done, you can publish those immediately through Kindle, Kobo, or Nook. So I, I think it really—it's deter- really dependent upon what your objective is. But you see, even with an ebook, though, you could. Write your book and have it published in a month and then spend another two, three, four weeks putting together a proper launch strategy that then launches that ebook to to your list and starts engagement around your platform. So again, I think it really depends on what your outcome is. And then that outcome will dictate what the strategy is. I always start with outcome, then strategy, and then tactics. And a lot of people got it. looking at a book, they, they, they look at the, the book as the strategy and the outcome and it's not. It's It's simply a tactic.
2: Well, with, with all these changes that are happening in the marketplace, and you know the the, the various um, options, it, it, it's a it's a pretty complex um, um, process. And you know, so I just for anyone any of our listeners, I wonder, you know, do you you know as a, are you uh, a consultant in this world? I mean, I know you're publishing your own books. You partner with people. Your business model is. You know, what do you what do you look for on a day to day basis? Um, in an ideal scenario, um, you know, partnering with folks, um, uh, consulting, and then getting involved. How, how do you go about your business? Great
0: question. So, uh, so one thing I'd like to offer your audience, if you'll allow, and I can send this to to either, to either you or, or Seth. We've got a, a white paper titled How to Publish a Bestselling Book that goes into great depth about how the publishing industry works and allow will help an author determine what strategy is best for him or her. Now in terms of what we do, I own a, a full-service marketing agency and w- while what we are best known for is prom- promoting 88 books to The Wall Street Journal USA Today and New York Times bestsellers list, what we really do is build thought leadership platforms. you know I think a, a thing that you might be hearing from me is that it's never about the book. the book is just a tool within the overall platform. And what we do is we get hired by uh, by business owners and 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 companies to come in, and build out their thought leadership platform, mapping out who their buyer personas are, mapping out their 12 steps of intimacy, working with them to create the, con- the, the content around that, working on driving traffic, what the engagement system is, and ultimately what, what our various conversion systems are. So clients, our clients will hire us to come in and either do tactical work, tactical consulting and strategy work, or many of them will hire us to act, in essence, as their outsourced CMO.
1: And that uh, oh. that white paper would, is a great offer. We'd love to get that to our listeners. Where can we send them to go to get that?
0: You know what I'll, I'll do, Seth, is I'll email that to you. That way it's easy for them to get access to.
1: All right. We will put that link in the show notes so everyone can go and get that generous offer from Michael Drew. Michael, anything else you want to share that we didn't think to ask you?
0: You know, I, I think what, what's really important that I, that I learned very early in my career, um, Roy H. Williams and I were in New York, uh, what, what, 13 years ago now. And we were at it was after Book Expo America, which is the top trade publication. We were walking New York, and Roy said to me, "I was oh, what was I 24?" He said to me, uh, "Michael, um, the winners and losers in life are determined when the teams are picked. There are two teams that are essential for your success. The first are the team of people who select you to be on their team, and the second are those that you select to be on your team." Both are critical to your success. And what I would uh, urge your listeners is that, that they be really intentional about those who they select to be on your team, obviously on their team, obviously listening to this podcast is, is an important part as they've selected you, you, Kevin and Seth, to be on their team. And I would simply indicate that the team that they surround themselves with will have a, a direct and clear impact on their success.
1: All right. We greatly appreciate your time. Great final
2: thought, Michael. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's great talking with you.
1: Michael Drew, promotabook.com, founder, uh, director, uh, launching 88 consecutive books, to national bestseller list. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your incredibly valuable time. Thanks so much for listening to this special productivity series of the direct response marketing podcast. I've interviewed hundreds of the most successful entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and CEOs, all over the world. And I want to share with you one of the biggest ways I've discovered to triple your productivity that I've learned from these amazing people. Even better, I'll pay you $500 to test drive it. Just go to take the 500 challengecom That's www.takethe500challenge.com to learn more. Thanks so much for listening.